So let us turn our attention now to the word of God which calls us to worship. Psalm 103, verses one through five. Please listen as I read from the English Standard Version. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so let us now be united in a word of prayer. So would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we all come before you today connected to one another by the shared confession that we just sang, that you truly are enough for us and that we want to follow you, God. That your love for us in Jesus Christ is a foundation that is firm enough for us to build our entire lives upon that every part of our lives may be grounded in that love, that it can hold it all. And not only can it hold us, but it can empower us, it can be strong enough to lead us to reach out from this foundation of love and to offer it to those around us and to this world, God. God, we thank you for your welcome. We thank you for your kindness and your grace. But Father God, we do confess that we don't always ground ourselves in your love. We confess that we often turn to other so-called loves to soothe our hurts and to fill the cracks that we feel in our hearts. And as a result, our love for others is often smaller than it ought to be. Our patience is often shorter, our suspicion greater, and our hesitation harder to overcome. And in a world as broken as ours, as divided and polarized as ours is, we need more love and not less. God, we need more patience, more acceptance, and more quickness to forgive, God. So we ask, Father, for you to make us more like your son by the power of your spirit. We ask you to shape us and to mold us and to conform us. God, we ask you really to remake us, God. God, as we look into your love, we, we trust your hand to do it. We trust that you will be gracious and gentle as you do. And even in times where you have to move quickly or cut more away than we were prepared for, God, we trust the hand that guides the cutting, Lord. God, we open our hearts to you and we receive that sovereign hand. We know you work together all things for the good of those who love you. So God, uh, in your grace and in your faithfulness and in your sovereignty, we rest. God, we take a moment now to breathe in your love for us and to breathe out any resistance to you. It's in your name we pray. Now, to prepare us for the message that he's come to share with us, our dear brother John Hanneman has chosen Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 4, uh, for our scripture reading. So please listen as I read once again from the English Standard Version. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. John, would you please share with us from the Word of God? Hello. <laughs> oh. That's right. Um, you know, it's so nice to see familiar faces. Um, I always get a little fur plunked when I come up here. Um, for some strange reason, you guys don't age at all. And uh, I do, but uh, you guys look fabulous, marvelous. So great to be with you today. Let us um, just take a moment of silence and um, check in with ourselves. How are we coming to this service today? Center our thoughts on Jesus, our heart on Jesus. We pray, God, that our hearts would be open, that we could hear your voice as you speak to us. Amen. Well, um, my wife Liz is artistic and creative. Growing up, she designed and made all of her clothes. Um, later on, uh, she was involved doing interior design. And no more recently, she's uh, created a shell art and, and now she's uh, pressing dry flowers and framing them. Whether fabric, colors, nature, shells, garden, animals, she sees the world through artist's eyes. A few weeks ago, we were walking in a large open space near our, um, near our home, and as we were walking, Liz kept saying, oh, look at that tree, take a picture. Oh, look at that old barn, beautiful, take a picture. We walked down to the river and, and she said, oh, isn't this so beautiful? So when I got home, I wrote a poem called Kaleidoscope Eyes because her eyes kept moving from image to image as the kaleidoscope turned in her head. Liz can get lost in her creations and, uh, and forget to eat. All I wanna know is what's for dinner. <laughs> But I believe Liz is a reflection of God, the creator of heaven and earth. God sees the world through kaleidoscope eyes. He loves color, design, texture, beauty. And I think this is why so many people experience God in nature. 
But all, God also sees each one of us through artistic, creative eyes. And his desire is to create something unique and special. And he, what he starts, he's determined to finish. Now, as I did last year, I want to share some thoughts out of the book of Jeremiah. Um, you may know the, the context for Jeremiah when Judah was um, in a sad state of affairs spiritually, lost in idolatry. The people of Judah, God's people, had uh, forsaken the fountain of living water for broken cisterns that could hold no water. Spiritual life, moral conscience, social integrity were deteriorating at a rapid rate. Judgment was on, his, on the way. And yet, God kept speaking to his people through the prophets like Jeremiah with the hope that they might repent and turn away from evil. Jeremiah had a tough assignment because he faced rejection his whole life. Now, in the pages of the great prophet, we find countless images, analogies, and comparisons that picture for us spiritual life and relationship with God. And God gave these pictures through Jeremiah with the hope that a picture would be worth a thousand words. And we find one of these concrete illustrations in chapter 18, the story of the potter and the clay. So we read, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. When you travel in the Middle East, um, Pots are one of the most common artifacts. They come in all shapes and sizes. They were an a invention of a gigantic ramifications. People could carry things. Uh, the pots could hold things. The potter was a well-known person in the community. He was an artist. Um, and even though a pot was useful, it was beautiful, defined by lines and colors and sh shapes. And one day, God sent Jeremiah on a field trip uh, to the potter's house. The potter was spinning a pot on the wheel. But then he stopped, and he took the clay, and he crushed it, made it back into a lump, and began again. Something wasn't right. There was a stone in the clay, a piece of straw, an air bubble, perhaps. Maybe the clay was stiff and resistant to the potter's hand. In any event, the pot wasn't coming out the way he viewed it through his artist's eyes. But the potter didn't throw away the clay, but made it into another vessel. Whatever the reason for the potter's dissatisfaction, he took the material and he worked on it until it met his specifications. Now, the reality of this scene of the potter's house, I think, was pretty apparent to Jeremiah. 
and I think it's apparent to us as well. God was the potter. The house of Israel was the clay. The clay had become spoiled through idolatry and sin. The people of Judah had forsaken God to pursue worthless, empty idols. There were spiritual flaws, character defects, and as a result, the pot was not turning out the way God intended. And so God was going to crush the clay and begin again. He was going to remold and reshape his people. Now, it's a little bit hard to uh, teach this because Jeremiah 18 is all about judgment. <laughs> and I really don't want to give you a message of judgment. Um, but there's valuable lessons for us to learn in our life and for the life of the church. One is that God speaks to us through visual images and concrete illustrations. You know, certainly God speaks through us through words, the scriptures, um, written prayers, songs we sing, but God also speaks to us through the things we might notice as we go through our day. We see a God who continually talks to his people, even in their sin and rebellion. And so many times God uses concrete metaphors, examples, and illustrations to make his point. And we see this over and over in the Gospels, don't we? How Jesus would teach, how Jesus would talk to the people that are gathered. He'd talk in parables. He'd use familiar pictures for them to think about in, the, in terms of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And so he had things like soil and, and pearls and, and fields and, and lost coins and lost sheep and lost sons. For example, this week as I was preparing, I noticed the bees buzzing around our lavender in the backyard, enjoying going from little sprout to little sprout and, uh, as, and taking in the nectar from the lavender. And I thought to myself, I could look at that and, and I could hear the Lord say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes on my walks, I'll, I'll hear a bird sing and it'll catch my attention. And the thought that will come to me is, oh, oh, God's inviting me to listen to him and to hear his heavenly music. On another walk, I might see an old gnarled tree. And if my thoughts have been focused on my failures um, or my gnarled, aching body, I can hear God remind me, oh, you're beautiful. That gnarled tree is beautiful and so are you despite imperfections or an aging body. This is how God speaks to us. Last month, we had some dear friends come from Colorado to visit us. And, and this couple has been through a lot of difficulties and struggles with their family in recent months. 
Um, but the woman, uh, the wife, when she came, she said, I want to be baptized. Never been baptized. And so we went down one day when they were there to um, a beach that was quiet, nobody there. We, and it, it was a quiet water, no waves. And we went to the beach and we, we, we talked about baptism and then the husband and I went with the wife out into the water and we baptized her. Talk about a concrete illustration. But when we came out of the water, all of a sudden we heard a noise. And we looked up on the dock and there were three women clapping and cheering. And I said, oh, the angels showed up <laughs> to, 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 to tell us how the joy that God is sensing right now at this moment. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful ah, word from the Lord through a visual, concrete illustration. Another principle, we are the creation of a master artist. The word potter is a favorite word that God applies to himself through the Bible. It's a word that comes from the same root as the word form. So in the creation story that we read that uh, God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He took clay and he made it into a vessel. From the very beginning, God has been in the business of forming and creating us in the same way that a potter creates something from a piece of clay. Isaiah says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. In Jeremiah chapter one, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And, we, and, and Eugene read Isaiah 43 for our scripture reading, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. God is the potter and we are the clay. Our very existence is the result of a master artist at work. We're molded and shaped by his hands. Now certainly this applies to our physical body. Our bodies are, they're, they're a wonder. They're incredible. The bodies that we have. God formed us. He formed each one of us. He knew us in the womb. Everything about him, us is the work of an artist. Our eyes, our ears, our feet, our toes. Everything has been created by God. And we are beautiful in his sight. Sadly, you know, TV and uh, magazines and uh, Hollywood make us think that we should have a different body. And, uh, and so we spend millions and gazillions of dollars trying to make our body look like somebody on a, in a movie. But, but God 
loves our body. It is not deficient because it is the creation of a master. He formed it. Now, not only are we formed physically, but we're shaped and molded spiritually as God's people. We are being formed by the potter into the image of Jesus. This formation is not about achievement or success, but about our character. See, right now, God sees us. He accepts us for how we are. He loves us for how we are. And yet, he sees what we are becoming as we grow in him and are molded into the shape of Jesus. We are being formed to be his people. He has the same desire for us as he had for Israel. He has a vision for what he wants us to be as his people, his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And what does this mean? Well, it means that your life in God matters. When we surrender our life to Jesus, Paul says in Colossians, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life matters to God, to your family, to your church, to those you work with, and it should matter to you. You matter. The life that you live matters. I think all too often we get discouraged with life or with God. We lose heart. We give up because of wounds or hurts and disappointments. We give up on the church because it doesn't seem to be making a difference. We can think that we'll never be good enough, never worthy enough, for people that we know or for God. And so we turn to idols and other loves to make us happy or give us comfort. Idols like money, power, possessions, or status. But what we see in Jeremiah is that God cares about what we are becoming. God does not sit in silence as we live our lives. No, he speaks to us. He reaches out to us. He keeps reminding us to turn to him and allow him to shape and mold our, our character, our spiritual life. The coming of Jesus should tell us this. The cross should tell us this. God is constantly calling to us if we but open our ears open our eyes and open our heart. You know, sometimes we have to just stop and ask ourselves, is that our desire? I mean, is that really what our heart desires to be molded into the creation that God wants? And for most of us, 
when we stop and think about that, we'd probably say, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, I want that, but I want my own life too. Well, that leads us to the next point. When necessary, God begins again. <laughs> Reshaping and remolding us into his design. There are times when sin and failure spoil what God is creating us to be. And uh, like, you know, Judah, this is probably where we live or have lived uh, some of the time. Um, we all have things that turn us away from God, character flaws, weaknesses to temptation, patterns of sin, false narratives about who we are. But when this happens, God doesn't throw away the clay. Even though our sin may frustrate God's purposes for us, he is never discouraged. He doesn't give up. He simply takes the lump of clay and begins working with it again, remaking us into something more beautiful and more special. And he keeps working until he is pleased. So we read in verse 4 of Jeremiah 18, the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Uh, literally, the text would read, until we are right in his eyes. God has a vision for what we're going to be. He's an artist. He sees us through artist eyes. He, when he's not satisfied with something, he starts over and makes it into what he desires. And so God is busy molding, shaping, remolding, reshaping until he gets it right, until we become what we were created to be. You know, this is the work of God. Taking people with blemishes, imperfections, spoiled vessels, and working skillfully to shape us into something beautiful and useful. I mean, this is true of almost everybody in the Bible, right? Whether it's Jacob, or, or David, or, or Ruth, or Rahab, or Saul, Saul of Tarsus, or, or Matthew, Luke. They were all works in progress. The God was forming to be a beautiful, beautiful vessel. And this is our story. And often this process, I have to be honest with you, involves suffering and pain. sometimes the artist that's where the artist does his best work like the potter who has to apply pressure to the clay so sometimes God has to apply pressure to our lives but God works through all the seasons all the circumstances all the sin all the failure 
to mold us into his people. You know, when Michelangelo created the David, he had stared at a block of marble that had been ruined, spoiled by another artist. But he kept looking at it and looking at it. And he saw what it could become. And he even used the, the, the imperfections in the marble to create David. I don't know if you've heard of this, um, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but <laughs> Kintsuji art, is that right? Kintsuji art, yeah, I'm sure you probably have all heard about this. Well, it's the Japanese um, art of taking um, uh, pottery that has been broken, putting it back together again with lacquer, and in the lacquer is mixed in gold or silver that, that, run, into the, that run in the cracks. The idea is not to disguise or hide the cracks, but to repair them and they become part of the history of the piece of pottery. And this pottery, this, this remade pottery is considered to be more beautiful than the original piece. See, in God's eyes, Broken lives reveal God's beauty and glory. And it reveals God's glory even more than unbroken lives. And so, just like this art form, we don't hide our imperfections, we don't hide them, we don't disguise them, we don't pretend. We allow God's glory to be displayed through our brokenness. I'm reminded of a poem Ray Stebbins would always quote, when God wants to drill and skill a man, when he wants to mold a man or a woman to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to, cre to create so great and bold a man that all the world will be amazed how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally selects how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God can understand. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his power out. God knows what he's about. Another truth is that we have to remember that we are the clay. <laughs> We're not the potter. And so in Jeremiah 8, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Isaiah adds, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say to his maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? 
Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen vessels. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making, or your work has no handles? And in the book of Romans, Paul uses the same image. You know, will you answer back to God? Will what is molded say to his molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? We always have to remember that God is the, part, uh, is the potter and we are not. And many times we get this backwards and in our arrogance and our pride we seek to control our own lives. We're not happy with the work that God is doing. We're not getting what we want. And so we take matters into our own hands and we try to control the process. Letting go of control is one of the hardest things we have to do as human beings. We shake our fist at God because of difficult circumstances or painful suffering. We try to build our life the way we want it to look, but that's not the relationship we have with God. You know, this was my attitude at the beginning of college when I suffered heartbreak. I was angry at God, and I kept saying to God, I cannot believe in a God that will allow me to experience this kind of pain. And that's the point I stopped going to church. And I stopped reading my Bible. But eventually, and after a few years, I realized that being the potter wasn't working out too good. <laughs> and so I surrendered and took the role of simply being the clay, letting God have control over my life. And yet, you know, throughout my life, I can see times where I grab hold of control, try to do it, but I have to keep coming back to allow God to be the potter. So how do we stay in the right relationship with God, the potter? What's our part? Well, this is our takeaway. Remain teachable and moldable. Remain soft, pliable, open. And this was Judah's problem. Jeremiah was preaching a message of judgment, but in this passage, God goes on to say that if you turn from evil, then he would relent concerning the disaster that he intended. God would actually change his mind about what he was going to do to Judah. And through Jeremiah, he told the people this. But then they say, that is vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Judah had no intention of changing her ways. She wanted to follow her own 
plans. And so, despite God's best efforts and all the words that he spoke and all the illustrations he gave to Judah, they refused to hear. Judah had become so hardened that there was nothing left but to break the pot. A spoiled vessel on the potter's wheel can be reshaped, but once it becomes hardened, it's beyond reconstruction and only fit for breaking. I went in, uh, I got pizza a few weeks ago, and I went in to pick up my pizza. And the, the guy that was working there, I had a bunch of tattoos, and I noticed one of his tattoos, and I said, said, God forgives. And I said, oh, I like your tattoo. And he goes, did you see the rest of it? But I don't. <laughs> see, that's, that's a hard heart, right? That's stubbornness. That's being the potter of our own lives. But the takeaway this morning is to remain soft, receptive, teachable, allowing God to shape us into the vessels he desires. When God brings difficult things into our life, and I guarantee you, he will, we're not to resist, grow bitter, become resentful, fight against the pressure. We remain teachable, moldable. God can't work with a hardened heart. As we get older, this becomes more and more difficult. When we're young, the clay is soft, where it's easier to mold. But when we grow older, we become more set in our ways, more resistant to change. But God is never done molding us until our dying day. And every day we have a choice to say yes to God. Yes, God. Mold me in your way. I'll surrender. I'll let go and look to you. You know, you might put a pot in your house somewhere. Go buy a nice pot and put it in a place that you see often to remind you God is the potter. We are the clay, and he's making a masterpiece in me. But I think this is also a word for the church. Often churches get set in their ways and become hardened to change. This is because church leaders, including pastors, have not been formed, have not remained teachable. Leaders can take the role of the potter and use the church to build their, their own kingdom for their own glory, their own status. And so it's no surprise that we see churches and church leaders crash and burn. So the church, too, must remain humble and allow God to shape and, and form a local body of believers to be the true, authentic representation of Jesus in the world.
How is God speaking to you today? If he is, is this convicting, encouraging, challenging, comforting? How might you surrender or let go of parts of your life to the potter and let him have his way? In what areas of your life are you being called to be teachable? The potter fashioned the cup with whirling wheel and hand. Hour by hour he built it up to the form that his thought had planned. Twas broken and broken again, marred by a flaw, a crack, a stain. Marred so he made it again and again, shaped it with joy and labor and pain. Well, now may you go forth with the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.